podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show on ESPN. Good to have you with us, gang. Nikki Bandini joins us very shortly to look back at week three Sunday of the 2020 season and some absolutely cracking games. Sunday night football, Saints Packers living up to the hype. How about those Seahawks? How about those Buffalo Bills as well? Atlanta, what is going on there? Is Dan Quinn going to be the first coach to go? We've even introduced the biggest loser of the week. There were so many extraordinary performances in the games we saw on Sunday. So sit back, relax, and let me and Nikki guide you through. Nikki, we've got a ton to get into. It helps, of course, that you and I did live radio last night, so it's all uh, hopefully fairly fresh in our minds. Uh, I'm particularly looking forward to a section a bit later on that uh, Ollie, our producer, has devised, uh, which is the biggest loser, where you're going <laughs> to be given a short list of candidates, and it's just quite a long list of candidates, and, and decide who the biggest loser of the week was. Um, and you're going to be helped by some of our listeners because we pushed that out on uh, social at the NC show, and we've got a lot of votes uh, at a poll as well, very excitingly. So uh, that is all to come. Um, but let's start with Sunday Night Football um, because it was one of the games that lived up to the hype. And interesting when you frame the Mahomes-Jackson Monday Night Football game, of course, two great quarterbacks of a different generation uh, going at it, going into the game in differing form uh, and both uh, performing uh, well under pressure. Aaron Rodgers, uh, another huge performance from him, Nikki, and for the season now, he is pushing a thousand yards, nine touchdowns, no picks. And we're all raving, and rightly so, about Russell Wilson. But do you think that the way Russell Wilson is playing is taking some of the attention away from the way Aaron Rodgers is playing? I, mean, I don't know how long you can keep not having attention on Aaron Rodgers when he's playing like this. Both of them are out of this world. And it's kind of fun, actually, because we've all been building up to, I think, justifiably, that the last two MVPs, but this game on Monday night. And actually, we had two games, um, I think, on Sunday between really, really great quarterbacks. I mean, mm. Dak Prescott maybe doesn't belong quite in the conversation with those others, but he's still put on a great game um, last night and is capable of, of, of great games. I think that um, Aaron Rodgers... It's, it's such a great narrative this season because you bring in your rookie first round pick and you sort of prod him. And this player who's been, I think, I don't know, I certainly have this feeling, perceived to be in decline quite Definitely. widely, to be sort of headed down a path, has transformed. And of course, it's not as simple as that. I mean, there's absolutely some stuff going on with the play calling. It's helping him a tremendous amount. I think if you look at how much they're using the play action, something like, 50% of the passes last night on play action when, mm. of course, um, under McCarthy, it was almost all out of the shotgun in some seasons and, and spread offenses and not even giving yourself the option of using the play action. And I think the numbers on the play action specifically were really good last night. Um, so there's certainly some stuff that's going on that's not just Aaron Rodgers, it's what's, been going, what's happening around him. But I believe fully that a part of why he's doing well this season is because for the first time, in forever since Aaron, since um, he was the the kid and Brett Favre was the rival, he's had someone there that he actually feels threatened by. It's that double whammy, isn't it, of uh, taking uh, your successor because a, a quarterback drafted in the first round is going to start within two years, right? Statistically, so, and then not taking a player that can 
in the time, the limited time you have left because your success has been taken uh, uh, to help you win now. And so that is definitely antagonized. I wonder if it's yeah. a masterstroke from, from the Packers front office, knowing the, the mindset around Rodgers. Well, this is sort of the great, um, you know, well, one of many great sort of subplots to the Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay story in general. Um, I think it should have popped up on Sunday Night Football's broadcast that he's only thrown one of all of the touchdowns he's thrown in his career has been to a first round draft pick. Like all of his touchdowns he's thrown have been to players who weren't drafted in the first round. And that was mm. a narrative this offseason. Get Aaron Rodgers some help. It can't all be Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams isn't there for this game. And he's throwing touchdown passes to a player off the Jacksonville practice squad. You know, he's throwing touchdown passes to Alan Lazard. Mm. And Lazard is playing well, by the way. Yeah. Lazard is doing the thing that that they need him to do, which is get him behind, create that separation. I think the narrative of this game, when we bring it to the actual deal between Rodgers and Breeze, the narrative of this game, in the end, the big picture story that I would tell as to why the Packers come away with this win is because Rodgers can hit that ball over the top and Breeze can't anymore. And in, in a shootout, at some point, you want to hit that ball over the top. Mm. But Lazard is necessary to make that possible. Like you need to have the guy who can get over the top. And he did it a couple of times on a really huge plays in this game. Yeah, you're right to key in on, on the deep ball, Nikki, because that is what everybody is pointing to uh, as exhibit A for Drew Brees' decline, right? And although he played well yesterday, three touchdowns, just shy of 300 yards and had a lot of zip on the ball, I think it's fair to say, the stats bear it out again. A 63.9% of his passes were aimed uh, short of the first down markers, 19 of 36 in the game, didn't clear five yards downfield. So uh, I think Mike Tannenbaum on our show was talking about this last week, that if uh, that the defense knows that that arm just isn't there anymore, and it seems to be that Drew Brees doesn't have it anymore, it, it's going to be obviously a, a disadvantage. The counter argument to that is how they got the offense moving when you're tearing up the field as Brees and Alvin Kamara did, then maybe it's not such a big problem. Look, it's a disadvantage in as much as having more tools in your arsenal is better, right? Like, it's always better to have more things. It's also a disadvantage to Drew Brees that he doesn't have Kyler Murray's legs. doesn't mean Drew Brees can't be a successful quarterback, right? Like, everything is, you know, is an advantage or a disadvantage. Um, But I I think it would be ridiculous, certainly, to sort of suggest that you can't win with Drew Brees not being Mm. able to hit the deep ball. I don't think that, um, well, no, I don't think. Peyton Manning won his last Super Bowl where he could, Right. You know, he was talking about himself throwing ugly wobbly ducks down the pitch, and and you know he he Manning approached that in a certain way. I remember like right at the start, of, I think it was the FC title game. He took he took a shot on a longer one anyway, and it was a really ugly pass that got there. And you thought, okay, well that's proving the point. That's saying to the defense, you can't totally ignore this because if a defense knows it can ignore something, it will. Um, but yeah, Peyton Manning won his second Super Bowl at a time when he was a far less effective pass than he had been earlier in his career. So there's lots of things that go into being successful in the league. And if you're a quarterback who makes consistently good decisions, that's probably the single biggest thing, right? Like that's the single biggest thing you've got going, you want to have going for you. If you're making good decisions and you're surrounded by playmakers, which he is in New Orleans, you've got Alvin Kamara in the backfield who can make things happen. It's not critical. Mm. It just, when it becomes a game like this one we saw on Sunday night, which was just a shootout at a certain point, mm. I think having that ability to take the lid off a defense, it's not always going to win you in the game, but it, it is a big advantage. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And Kamari, you're right to key in on him. A hell of a game, almost 200 yards from scrimmage, 135 uh, of those receiving yards after the catch as well. 
Uh, it's great to see him back, of course, uh, because injury has, has affected him you know, latterly. And he is, uh, as Drew Brees described him, a human highlight reel. is <laughs> a perfect description of him. Um, and I guess the versatility that he enables in this offense, and when we're seeing it firsthand, again, just underpins if there are limitations to, to Drew Brees athletically in terms of what he can execute. He's still got one of the great minds in football, and he's got, he's got players like around they can use it in lots of different ways. And Sean Payton, the architect of it all, then they're going to have a fighting chance. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's all it's all working out what your strengths are, and then from that working out what you can sort of play off with your strengths. You know, Aaron Jones is a, also a very good running back, and he's a very different kind of running back to Alvin Kamara. And I think that the, the sort of what Green Bay have sort of made into one of their strengths I was talking about before is that play action, because they've made you very genuinely quite afraid of that run straight up the gut of your defense. And so every time that Rodgers fakes that, you have to respect it. And if you respect it, even for a fraction of a second, then you give the chance to as I keep saying, hit that long ball over the top. If you've managed to sort of freeze the safeties for a second, that's enough. Um, with Kamara, it's something different. You're, you're making a defense respect that you can throw it everywhere. And I think that's one of Breeze's sort of great assets as well in, in this offense is we're talking about, again, to bring it back to what just talking about, just talking about the Packers and Aaron Rodgers and the lack of superstars. I think um, Breeze has some more talented individual receivers around him, but also... When has Drew Brees ever restricted himself to throwing to one guy? Like, never. Drew sure. Brees has, has never in his career been a quarterback, you think, even when it was Michael Thomas, you know, at his very, very best in that connection. I don't think it was always going that way. And I think it isn't now. Like, it's, it's, I think it's, it's, still, um, it's still a case of, of using everyone you've got there. It's still a case of spreading the ball out effectively. And I think that's the thing that, um, the thing that Alvin Kamara gives you in, in that regard is, you have to think about him in a whole bunch of different ways. You have to think about him as a pass catch. You have to think about him as a runner. You have to think about him not just running, um, you know, we talk about running backs, the pass catch, and even that's like a massive simplification. Aaron Kamara will spread out wide sometimes when he has to. He can run actual routes when he has to. I think that versatility is something that is just such a thing that the, the Saints make you think about. Big time. And, and the point you made on... Um our radio show last night when we were talking about DeAndre Hopkins and not just the, the uh, productivity that, that he obviously introduces automatically, but it's the attention that he garners and therefore uh, the yeah. upside for, for those around him and, and no Michael Thomas. Uh, uh, and yet the offense still able to do what they are able to do, albeit in defeat last night, has yeah. to be a positive for New Orleans. That Yeah, I, with Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, like it's all of them. What you're gaining, which... I just don't even know you can replicate with the younger quarterback is they've seen so much. They've seen mm. so much in the league that when they drop back, they can make those decisions quicker. They just can because they've seen it. They've seen every coverage. They've seen every coverage. They've seen every wrinkle. They've seen every, every idea that can be thrown at them. And it's not that the younger quarterback can't overcome those things, but there is something that comes with experience, which is okay. Like I don't have to think about the decision. There's no sort of extra process that's going on. I can make that decision. And speed of decisions can make up, again, a lot for what might be lost in speed of um, zip on the ball or ability to, to get it downfield. So the Saints, not to worry too much, uh, although they are they fall to one and two with that. They've got Detroit on Sunday. Uh, the Packers, Monday Night Football against Atlanta, uh, which is uh, a nice place to bounce at the moment for, for the Pack. We'll talk more about Atlanta in a bit, of course. So not unduly worried then, Nikki, about the Saints. And uh, as far as their record, suggest sluggish start to the season yeah i mean some worry i think you know obviously you don't want to one and two you want to be three and oh but i'm not um i'm not panicking for them i also don't think that they're necessarily in division where you need to panic 
Fair. All right. Let us go on to the shootout between Seattle and Dallas next. And, and Russell Wilson, again, five more touchdown passes. Technically six, if you uh, include the one where DK Metcalf, uh, Metcalf just got far too swaggery and uh, <laughs> got the whole swagger balance off there and got far too cocky. It's the second consecutive week he's done that, um, which is a new NFL record, incidentally as well. The most touchdown passes in the first three weeks of the season, 14, which beats the record that Pat Mahomes uh, previously mm-hmm. held. To put that in perspective, Nikki, the rest of the NFC West, a division close to your heart, has 14 touchdown passes combined. <laughs> so, <laughs> Russell Wilson and everybody else. Yeah, I mean, it is, you know, in good and bad, by the way, because at some point the Seahawks might not be able to rely on a one-man show and Chris Carson going down hurt late in this game is a big, scary moment for them and for for this team can go, in my opinion. But um, you were talking about the Packers um, wanting to frame Aaron Rodgers as the greatest deep ball thrower in the league. And don't get me wrong, Aaron Rodgers throws a a great deep ball. But for me, Russell Wilson throws the prettiest deep ball in the league. I think he throws such a good deep ball and he does it. I I think that's always been this sort of hallmark of, of... having um, Russell Wilson in that Seattle offense. There's been lots of years when you really haven't particularly thought of them as a passing offense. Mm. I think probably less so lately, but certainly earlier in his career. But he always had that deep ball and it was mm. always so reliable. Like he really puts it on the money when he, when he takes that shot downfield. Mm. And I think that, um, you know, that's, that's by no means everything he's doing well right now. But as you say, there were, some, there were a couple of really nice ones to DK Metcalf, even though one of them, DK very kindly gave back to the Cowboys. <laughs> the um, really interesting how they're shifting. I think the Seahawks this year because you're right, and, and the logic prevails that the idea that a concentration on the run, certainly in in, in the last few years, outside of his rookie and his formative years as a quarterback, you think, well, you're wasting it here in this narrative a lot. You, why were they wasting Russell Wilson all these years? But you know, it, it it's basic 101 offense right if you establish the run to that degree and you have a quarter that can do that then that is a very dangerous tag team right yeah. but the shift philosophically is, is what really interests me so i looked this up uh the ratio between run and pass right so in 2018 they were top five weighted towards the run in the nfl 48 percent to 52 percent run pass right 2018 the year before they were the number one it was 55.6 percent run uh versus 45 Pass so far this season, they've dropped to forty-four percent with a run fifty-six percent pass. So, so more significantly, they're dialing up the plays, unleashing him. And it was a point you made to me yesterday, which I think is spot on. It has to be a lot to do with the talent he has around him. When you have Tyler Lockett, who has emerged in the last 12, 18 mm. months as a terrific receiver, and DK Metcalf the other side, I mean that is one of the best tag teams in the game, right? Yeah, it's really hard not to laugh at DK Metcalf today because it was, I mean, for anyone who hasn't seen it, he, he has the touchdown. He's, he's a yard from the, the, the end zone. He just is carrying the ball like the, you know, the, the loaf of bread that coaches always complain about. And, and it's, it's just there to be punched out and go out the back of the end zone for a touchback. And it's, it's a really bad play. I think it says a lot that in the end, at the end of the game, for the winning touchdown, in fact, Wilson goes back to DK Metcalf, yes. which I think speaks to who he is as a as a quarterback and, and as a leader. But yes, I think he's much more surrounded by talent. There was a big catch by Greg Olson on that last drive yes. as well, who, I mean, look, he's not going to light things up for you this season at, at the age he is, but I think a reliable pair of hands and another sort of tool for Wilson in that offense. I do, and I've already said it, I do worry, even though you've just sort of illustrated how 
the run has been less sort of as a percentage of the offense, I do still worry that you take away that threat of the run if Carson is out for a while. I mean, it didn't look great, but who knows? We'll see in the next few days. Yeah, um, that doesn't sound if great. You can't, if you can't adequately replace that, that impact that he has, because Chris Carson's running the ball well. Local media reporting on the severity of Chris Carson's injury, uh, suggesting, uh, here's a quote here from the Seattle Times, a league source says early indications show it was significant. So that more news on that, uh, of course, will be coming out uh, over the next 24 hours or so. But uh, yeah, it doesn't look good. That is a huge, uh, huge issue. What about um, Dallas? Because their passing game is, is fine. Right, I mean, uh, Amari Cooper in the mix. Gallup had the terrific game, six for 138 yards. CD Lab, Cedric Wilson getting involved in the party as well. Uh, and Dak, although he had his shortcomings in the game, showed a lot of moxie and a lot of fight to to get him back in. But but the rush, the rushing game, which early critics of, of McCarthy suggested that it was a bit vanilla and a bit dull. The offense, but they haven't really got Zeke going at all. He's only uh, 34 yards against Seattle. He's yet to break 100 yards this season. Um, so Dallas's offense, interesting to, to work out at the moment what its identity truly is. If Seattle have nailed that, then Dallas, not so much. Yeah, I mean, this is a sort of, um, there's, there's, there's sort of layers to this story, one of which is I think that a lot of people have sort of kept in their mind as a monolith that the Cowboys have the best offensive line in the league and maybe they don't anymore. Maybe they don't because, you know, a couple of years ago when Zeke was running over everyone, they really did have the best blocking up front in, in probably the whole NFL. And I don't know if that's true anymore. I don't think they've got a bad offensive line, but, you know, people have moved. People aren't always in, people aren't all in the same spots they were. And I think that, that um, that's certainly a part of it. I don't know. I, 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 I'm in the camp of, of Dak apologists, I think. I think mm. some people have been really sort of damning of him far too quickly. I think he showed a lot in this game. Yes, you know, not a perfect performance in Europe against Russell Wilson, who's playing at an MVP level right now. So it's it's a pretty um, tough contrast to be up against. But I, I sort of look at how, um, yeah, I look at how he's playing. I don't, I don't put it on him. The offense and the... The running game more specifically, yeah, there's, there's definitely some improvement that could be made. They're one and two now, the Cowboys, with uh, that defeat. They've got Cleveland this weekend. And, of course, they benefit from playing in one of the weakest divisions in football, right? So they could easily roll to a nine and seven record, 10 and six might, you know, uh, and be comfortably home there as far as the playoffs are concerned. So there is a, a long way to go yeah, before I mean, we start. They, they should win that division. They really should, whether they will. Yeah, that the East is, is is notoriously good at throwing us off, but no mm. one else looks good. Oh, it, it, it has to be the worst division in football, right? I mean, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, the AFC is yeah, no, because I mean the, the the Pats are strong. I mean, yeah, they, they, there is the Cowboys are surely the only team in it, but we'll talk more about that. The other three teams will inevitably come up a bit later on. Uh, let's talk Rams Bills because that game was ridiculous. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. Twenty three, uh, twenty eight to three up Buffalo. And then we had 29 unanswered points from LA, uh, but it gave enough time for Josh Allen to, to drive his team into range. And this is, of course, the narrative going into the game there was, well, is Josh Allen finally demonstrating to his critics that he is legit. He is a, a potentially elite player in the NFL. The first couple of games, no picks and 600 and whatever yards and seven touchdowns. And, but this was the moment. They'd been awful in the second half, but he had the ball in his hands and, and the game to win. And it was a, it was a, bizarre drive really wasn't it had, could have had everything and in the end Nikki it was a pass interference call which was 
looking back again and again at it, there is just no logical justification for why that flag was thrown really harsh on the Rams. And it was that call that proved to be decisive. Yeah, well, I mean, someone someone out in Buffalo put a phone call in and, and relayed the news that Will Gavin on the TalkSport 2 NFL coverage was not believing in Josh Allen. <laughs> what it was. That's what happened. Um, I, um, I, I, it's almost hard to, like, even sort of put together what happened in the end of that game because you had two consecutive drives where the Bills had just these craziest penalties. Um, you know, first of all, Josh Allen um, getting sacked and then mouthing off at the officials and, and getting the team taken backwards. But I think it's done for something. I just, I can't even think if I've seen this before. Um, a, a, an offensive face mask against Josh Allen as the quarterback for what in real time before I understood what happened looked like an incredible piece of sort of escapology in the backfield getting away from a sack. And then you see that he really did have his fingers like, jammed right up inside the face mask. And a brave thing against Aaron Donald and the Rams, right? <laughs> right. And yet, um, there were a couple of times where he just really bailed them out of those third and long situations. And yes, in the end, that fourth and nine penalty call happens and it's a horrible call. My sort of, you know, I, of course, it's like, it's frustrating. You don't want it to happen, right? You don't want it to happen in any NFL game. My sort of, the extent of my sort of sympathies for the Rams is tempered slightly with, well, you did dig yourself in a gigantic hole to begin this game. And also, you let them out of those third and very, very long situations a couple mm. of times. And, and I think that that's partly on, on the Rams. I think that neither defense this matchup was actually good at all, really. Mm. Well, um, God, Buffalo, when their, their team is, is underpinned by this D. I mean, we've talked about this, this resurgence, this new era Buffalo with Sean McDermott, that, it, that it's D first. And I know they brought Diggs in and Allen is a playmaker. It wasn't in this game. Five, yeah. Almost 500 yards they gave up. I mean, yeah. this was extraordinary. The, the first up. half, like when, when they sort of, you might have looked at the score and thought they were playing better on defense. It wasn't they were playing good defense. They would just always had the ball. Like the, the, the Rams <laughs> sure. only had like yeah. three possessions or something stupid. I'm, I'm slightly exaggerating, but they, they barely had the ball, the Rams. Um, mm. And uh, I, yeah, I mean, to get back to Josh Allen, because I haven't actually sort of said anything about him. Yeah, he's, he, he was brilliant um, for most of this game. There were there were mm. bits where it went wrong, and in the second half, the, the rhythm seemed to be lost for a little bit. But overall, I think there's so many sort of um, you know the, the numbers tell their own story. You can then look at sort of individual plays. I mean, I think about going to Stefan Diggs in the back corner of the end zone, going right at Jalen Ramsey, who I was reminded this morning reading somewhere I can't where that um, Alan was one of the quarterbacks, the many quarterbacks, in fact, who um, Ramsey listed when he had that interview a couple of years ago. He was just going through what felt like every quarterback in the NFL and saying why they were terrible. Ah, um, so going right at Jalen Ramsey to, to, yeah. to, to get Stefan Diggs was certainly a moment. But actually, I think that's, you know, that's another thing which maybe like, I didn't sort of quite pick up on as much as it was happening. John Brown went out of this game quite early injured. Mm. Stefan Diggs, yes, got that touchdown, but other than that, was for the most part quite well blanketed by Diggs, didn't have big, um, by Ramsey, didn't have a big day at all. Yeah. And yet, Allen still has his day. Yeah. Cole, Be- Cole Beasley was great. We did talk about that on the broadcast. Cole Beasley was a really sort of reliable option for him, but still, he was having to look for different targets because his top two, one wasn't there and the other one was covered by one of the best yeah. guys in the league. It's a great point. You, you know, I looked at each other in the fourth quarter and said, well, Diggs only had two catches? You know, what? Yeah. I, I completely agree. And look, uh, this whole... 
overreaction, crazy overreaction about him. A- any player that's talked about as an MVP after two weeks, it's, it's ridiculous anyway, right? But <laughs> this idea that, that, you know, Josh Allen is suddenly one of the best quarterbacks in the league, you know, let's, uh, let's just hold our horses for a minute there. But I... Uh, having said he might that, be one of the best fantasy quarterbacks. He yeah. might be the best fantasy quarterback. And, and I mean, given that's that. a, a great <laughs> point you made uh, as well last night was that Russell Wilson perhaps is overlooked at times for that reason, right? There are other quarterbacks that have uh, greater fantasy value and, and, and sometimes that just shades our opinion, logically shades people's opinions. Mm. But I'm, I'm in on, on Josh Allen, Nikki. I'm in. I, I'm buying it. You know, I think he has that dynamism, that game-changing ability in him and it, i'm not just talking about the dual threat and yes he's great with his legs we've known that from the beginning i i think his passing is noticeably improving and yes you can argue well the the addition of Diggs is, is gonna is gonna assist that but to your point he didn't really need him or certainly didn't rely on him at no, last i, I last think night. brian Diggs got it doing done. good work it's it's it, and i'm not saying they're the same kind of player but i when i watch him there's a kind of farvesque roller coaster uh, you know, to him that he's not afraid to take the shots, uh, that he is going to do something slightly headless and frustrating and probably lose a game by throwing a pick with, you know, when you're in the red zone. But there's more upside than not. And I would take that every time. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think the, the knock on him for me up, up till now, and still to an extent, you know, his accuracy hasn't always been there. But I do think Brian Dable's doing a work with him. I think he is leading his receivers more. Stefan Diggs has been really piling up the yards after the catch. And I saw this somewhere being used as like a stick to, to beat um, Alan with, oh, those numbers he's got for passing yards, whatever that's after the catch. You get good yards after the catch when your quarterback has put you in a position to get those yards. Absolutely. Like that's how that works. Like if Absolutely. you've got space to run into ahead of you, that means you've been led with the ball and you've got the ball where you need it. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. It's one of those things that's just thrown around, uh, you know, uh, the game manager, another one, but hey, we're not going to get into that. One more on this one. Um, Jared Goff, right? So if Allen is is more than just uh, a, a, you know a raw runner uh, that can occasionally sling it, is Jared Goff more than uh, a, this kind of poised Autobot, this kind of android that people <laughs> suggest you? He's very good mechanically and he's very good athletically in that respect, but he is a he's a vessel for for Sean McVay's console play. He's he's more than that, isn't he? Yeah, I think he is. Funnily enough, I think the trait that comes. Um, to me, when I think about Jared Goff, is is quite unrobotic, which I feel like he's a he's um he's a confidence player. Sometimes he's a rhythm player. Like when he's in his zone, which I think he really got into in the second half of this game, he becomes very very hard to stop. And mm. I think he yeah he finds that rhythm. I did think it was interesting that some of the best stuff we saw from that Rams offense was when they were going quickest with the no huddle. Um, I think it was the last touchdown drive might have been one before where they had um. Uh, I think it was Henderson had gone down like right at the goal line and it was like oh is that over or not and I was expecting him to get mm. the red flag out and have a look at it he didn't even bother he just went straight back to the line and, and punched it in because punched they were in, yeah. in that rhythm yeah. and I think that maybe that's Goff and maybe that's just the Rams and Sean McVay but I definitely felt like with Goff when he was out of when he was cold he was so cold like he was mm. so 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 cold in that game but then once once he found that that spot and he was in it the Bills couldn't take him out of it at all. Mm, absolutely. And I, and I guess as well to that and the upside that inevitably Rams are going to take from the way they played it in the second half, it's always better that way around, right? Unlike 
the, mm. at the inverse being Atlanta where you, you storm into a lead and throw it away. It's always better to have a horrendous first half, storm in the second half. Even if you go on and lose, you say, well, there's a lot to be happy about. That seems to be uh, the buzz around the Rams after, after that defeat notwithstanding. So it was a tough break for them in the end, particularly with that, that flag going against them. But they're not the biggest loser of the week. Uh, we've got to decide who is Nikki. So that's what we're going to do next. As I said at the top, help uh, from our friends here on social. Thanks to everybody that's got in touch. Uh, on uh, our Twitter feed in particular at the NC show. We put out stuff, Marley, Tom and the crew all week long there. Uh, they put out a poll. So there were four options here, three and then an other option, right? Um, and as we're recording this, the vote's still coming in actually. So there's still a bit of time on it. But uh, the Falcons... Uh, landslide winners, Nikki. 54% of the vote is the biggest loser. Mitch Trubisky was an option. He picked up 29% creditable for Mitch there. Uh, Carson Wentz, 12% of the vote. And then other five. So let's start with um, the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, that red-haired dude uh, says, Falcons literally could be 50 nothing up with 30 seconds left on the clock in the fourth quarter <laughs> and you'd still worry that they would lose. Uh, it's mathematically possible, uh, red-haired dude, but I appreciate the sentiment. Um, <laughs> In all, in all seriousness, Dan Quinn now is, everybody's saying, is on the hottest of hot seats. He's, he's shot up to the top of those unenviable power rankings. You had the back-to-back losses in this nature. What does that tell you, Nikki? Does it tell you that this is somebody that has lost the locker room, that is tactically inept? Or is it absolutely nothing to do with that and it's just a, a couple of bad breaks week on week? How much of this goes on Dan Quinn's shoulders? How much of it is on the players' shoulders? I, yeah, it's really like, this is one that I'm really struggling with actually when I think about it. Like I was joking about last night, I was, I called this game when they were well ahead yeah, in the third did. quarter, I was still on that. But um, like, I, I find it impossible to separate what's happening to this team week after week because it's not just like extraordinary, extraordinarily implausible. I think it's literally unprecedented to lose two games like this in back-to-back weeks. I think that's literally never happened in the NFL. You're absolutely right. It's never happened, yeah. Um, and I just can't, in my brain, separate it from the Super Bowl loss. I just can't. Like mm. It's like something has seeped into the beliefs of these players that um and you know that's in itself already sort of a bit of an out there woo-woo thing to say i know because the fact is that some of the players aren't still there a lot of them have moved on but you still have dan quinn and you still have matt ryan and you still have something embedded it feels like at an organizational level that just there is zero confidence in the ability to see our game and I suppose the not woo-woo version of that, the, the closest I can cling to is when it's the head coach, like your head coach is no longer able to convince his players mm. that they can see out a game even when there's absolutely no reason the game should even get close. Mm. I mean, look, you can go individually on games as well, but clearly Chicago brought in Nick Foles and things changed, right? They were a better offense once they had Nick Foles there instead of Mitch Trubisky. But again, like this isn't, unlikely it's unprecedented what the Falcons mm. have done throwing away these two leads and I just I find it really hard to rightly or wrongly maybe I am just being woo-woo about it but like it it, it seems like it's, it comes back to a Super Bowl for me yeah and uh, I think looking at the the importance the relevance of the of the coach and the confidence in the coach in a situation like this that is 
clearly has to be a connecting thread because you look at Matt Ryan suddenly went, uh, he's a quarterback that, I mean, his nickname is Ice, right? He yeah. threw seven straight yes. competitions at one point in the, in the fourth quarter. He looked like a completely different That's such a great point. People still say Matty Ice and you're like, where? Yeah. When? Yeah. 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 Right. So, uh, I think, uh, unfortunately, and Arthur Blank, as as, as a team owner, uh, by all accounts, is one of the good guys, and, and and maybe that has some bearing on why a change hasn't been made yet. But when you look at the talent here, and I don't think anybody's looking at Atlanta as a serious Super Bowl contenders, but they certainly uh, should be in the mix, uh, and certainly at, at, at least a contender for the playoffs. And at the moment, the way they're throwing things away they're not even going to be close chicago on the other hand are improbably in contention early stages that we are for uh, for a playoff spot uh and that was one of the fascinating things about this they're two and oh okay going into this game admittedly playing horrendously offensively and that's when they bench trubisky it's an interesting decision nikki to do it then uh when all preseason, Trubisky, if we, you, you talk about hot seats, was the quarterback that was perhaps most under pressure, certainly amongst the most under pressure. Not many convinced, not anyone's really convinced about him, but a lot of people had already written him off and said he's not good enough to be a starter. Nick Foles comes in, and yet Trubisky wins the job in, in camp, starts the season, and they're 2-0. and But yet he's benched at half time. I thought it was a really interesting choice to do that. Well, isn't the secret to all this that Nick Foles is bad when you make him your starter, but when you bring him in in the middle of a season, that's, uh, that's when the magic happens. <laughs> that's exactly. So they were just sort of trying to work out how long they could leave it, how long they could they could keep that decision down the line. I'm, I'm, I'm really I'm seeing that thought because I think that was in the ringer this morning. They actually okay. like did the numbers on game on his his like uh, his uh, passing numbers in games when he. Um, in games and seasons when he started as a starter and in games and seasons when he didn't start as a starter. Now, it's one of those sort of analysis that's a bit silly because, you know, you're talking about the teams he's on and, and the situations he's in. But mm. certainly a very striking difference in the numbers if you look at them in abstract. He has done better in his career when he has been a backup coming in than when he's been the guy to begin with. I think there's something in that. You know, Carlson was making the point on the show last week about the Justin Herbert's first start and the fact that he didn't have to think about it too much because it was right you're you're in you know and so you don't have the whole yeah. week of worrying about it and you know your stomach churning and and you know there's something in that the mindset of knowing you're the starter and the pressure on it i mean look we'll never know with jacksonville because of the injury we'll never know kind of whether how how good he could have mm-hmm. been and whether that would have been a good fit for him go back to social then on trubisky one of our nominees for, for loser of the week such a positive segment ollie the producer. <laughs> appreciate start of the week with this uh, rob griffith thanks rob says mitch speaking of positive sentiments mitch will never start an NFL game again says Rob barring injury um, he's got a point I think in an uh, NFL game maybe a bit of a reach but I don't think he's going to start for Chicago again is he? Um, officially this decision hasn't been made the coach at the end of the game said you're going to go and, and have sort of very open and honest conversations about it and it's not about being nasty it's about sort of just being completely um, truthful with ourselves and each other about what we think about the situation so it's possible that Mitch Trubisky could start next game. I'm pretty confident he won't. Mm. Um, not that Nick Foles was anything like flawless after coming on, by the way. I mean, Atlanta were just really bad. Um, you know, but I, on that, Foles passed for 4.8 yards per attempt. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you're right. It wasn't exactly lights out. It, so it's it's a very fair point. Uh, that- um, so, yeah, I, I don't think it's inconceivable that Mitch Trubisky starts a game again this season. What if Nick Foles keeps throwing four yards pass? Yeah, like, I, I don't think that's 
out the realms of possibility. And I also don't think it's out the realms of possibility in the NFL that someone else takes a chance on him at some point because quarterbacks aren't always a commodity in short supply relative to the amount of um, teams that need one. So we'll see. Um, you know, I can say all that and also say that not suddenly because of this game, but Mitch Trubisky's ability to transcend his his what he's shown us so far and become something else. I become more skeptical of it every season, and yeah, nothing this season is is convincing otherwise. Exactly, he hasn't got much in the bank, has he? To uh, to uh, dine off uh, going through a bad spell, he hasn't really. Uh hasn't really shown us a huge amount in his NFL career. You've got to remember where he was drafted as well, who he was drafted ahead of. Uh, a, lot of uh, a lot of you weighing in on this, actually. Uh, enough of that now. Uh, Andy, uh, enough of that now is your handle. Uh, Andy Gilder, hey, Andy says, even as a Falcons fan, I say Trubisky. We lost one game in a season where we weren't going to be contenders anyway. Trubisky probably lost his career as an NFL starting quarterback. Dean uh, says, can't see a way back for Mitch Trubisky. At least the Falcons have got the talent to improve. And Carson Wentz showed some redeeming play. So let's move on to Carson Wentz. He's uh, the other nominee in our poll. Um, Can I make another nominee at the end? Because I've got okay. one. Yeah, I'd lo- love to have it. At the end. Is it fair to say uh, Carson Wentz is done, given the injuries Billy have, given, again, if we compare this directly with the point we just made on Trubisky, given what he has shown as a starter over the years in the NFL, which a player like Trubisky just hasn't, we shouldn't be writing off Carson Wentz yet, should we? I don't think this is like... Um, with Mitch Trubisky, where you, you've got a, a quarterback who's yet to show us anything. Carson Wentz, the season when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, before he gets injured, he's being talked about as an MVP candidate. He's playing at that level. And I think as long as you've got a quarterback with that body of evidence somewhere in their career, I think it's hard for me to believe that even if things really fall apart from Philadelphia, there won't be a coach somewhere that looks at him and goes, well, I believe in myself as a coach. I believe the talent's in there. I'll, I'll try and find a way to, to bring it out of him. But I, I find him, again, you know, he's another of these sort of NFL mysteries a bit for me, because when we talk about the injury, yes, clearly from a disruption to where he was in his career, it feels like he's never got back to where he was before. On the other hand, it's not like we're talking about, I don't know, I'm trying to think of like a really RG3. extreme example. Yeah, like an RG3 where it's like, oh, Carson Wentz was, oh, was, was just this sort of pure athletic talent before and now he's not. It's actually a bit unfair on RG3 because RG3 could really throw the ball as well. Mm. Um, but, but it fundamentally, the, in, the injury that he specifically sustained fundamentally changed the way he played the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and so it, it's, it's perplexing to me that you can't still get a very good sort of level of performance out of Carson Wentz. Mm. And it, it's something, to me, it has to be something on a confidence level as well at the moment. And perhaps that's a physical confidence level. Perhaps it all comes down to a belief in your body that your body's not going to betray you. Because I know that that, can happen to athletes. I've talked to athletes who've talked about that before. When you lose that belief in your body, how unsettling it is. Mm. But yeah, he's, he's, he's a perplexing one. He's definitely a loser this week. He's not the loser this week for me. And I'm, you know, I think probably it's, it's still the Falcons and Dan Quinn, but I think um, we need to have a talk about someone else at the Mm. Eagles, someone who perhaps, a couple of years ago, we were talking about what a brave play caller he was and taking every chance in the playoffs. And now suddenly, will not attempt a field goal at the end of overtime when he's got a kicker who's kicked a kick over 60 yards before because he'd rather take a tie than risk losing. I couldn't believe the call. I couldn't believe the call. It was... 
astonishing. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. The, you know, I could understand if you were Owen 13, you know, and the, the Owen 16 was on. You were like, God, okay, we're just going to stem the blood or uh, stem the flow. But they, with, with the start of the season, in a division, as we've identified, is the most winnable in the whole of, of the NFL. How on earth could that decision be rationalized? I, I, extraordinary. The, uh, you know my rationalization for you is that he didn't want to be the biggest loser in this segment because he Must thought time be being a loser. But to me, it's made him a loser. I love it. <laughs> Who's laughing now, Doug Peterson? Who's <laughs> laughing now? I'm, I'm executive decision. I don't care what the poll says. <laughs> Sorry, listeners. Uh, but I'm, I'm ignoring the vote and I'm appointing uh, Doug Peterson. Now, I agree. I, <laughs> remarkable to do that. I, I you know, I, I words fail me. Words fail me. And this, I'm so disappointed that uh, how, how many seconds were left? There was about 20 seconds left, I think, for, for Burrow and the Bengals. And we were saying, wouldn't it be yeah. great if there, if there was a punt return for a touchdown or, or Burrow just slung it down for a 70-yarder? Um, just back on Went super quick. Um, I just have one more point on him, and then we'll just talk through uh, a last few bits of business, Nikki. With regards to how he bounced back from an abject display, scrambling in for the score to take it to overtime. And also looking back at the game and who he had around him, you make a great point about Jared Goff and rhythm within a game. And I think you can extend that outside of that to, uh, you know, rhythm in phases of your career. And I think that has been so disjointed, even when he's come back from injury with the injuries around him, particularly the receiving core. I mean, look at other, Zach Hurts notwithstanding, look at who he was thrown to last night, you know? And I know he had... Miles Sanders on the ground who had a big game averaging over five a carry and, and pushing 100 yards but it, with respect to that receiving core it's a second third rate string kind of core so Carson Wentz can yeah. only do so much and the line was suffering as well I mean I know Philly were getting to, to burrow a lot but conversely the Bengals defense were getting in his face plenty of the game yeah that's, I mean, that's a totally you know valid point and um yeah, I, I promise just we've been talking about it. I've got it in my head. Well, Aaron Rodgers manages to make it work. With, but, you know, Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers and Carson Wentz is Carson Wentz. It's not a fair fight. Oh, the quick snap yeah. right on cue says, no way is it Wentz. He's not a bad quarterback overnight, just in a bad situation to start the season. Come on, Falcons, easy, he says. Uh, some love for Sam Darnold. Kurt Milner says, looks like Sam Darnold didn't have a great week. And New York, full stop, didn't have a great week, of course. Both teams getting shellac, both teams single digit. Uh, City of New York could be the loser. I mean, well, New yeah. Jersey perhaps rather than New York, <laughs> the state right. of New Jersey. If we want to be want to be mean, any um, upside for either New York side of that? I mean, on, on the back of those performances, obviously not. But but going forwards, I mean, Donald uh, and Danny Dimes both looked uh, both looked uh, completely uh, off the pace. Uh, Saquon's gone for the season. This was meant to be, you know, Joe Judge has walked into it. Interesting that head coach in a different trajectories right you've got gays on the hot seat about presumably about to be fired at some point if 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 uh, quinn doesn't beat him to it uh, and yet joe judge interesting choice not necessarily certainly not the obvious choice not necessarily every giants fans first choice uh, and already it's uh, it's a struggle for him so really tough right now for both new york teams yeah I, you were saying upsides i don't i don't see them right now i mean you know Maybe you get a nice high draft. They can, can replace the guy who you don't believe in buying center. I don't know. Look, I, I, these are bad. These are bad, bad teams. That's you know kind of all there is with it with the, the Giants and Jets right now. The bad teams and their quarterbacks are so far very much not panning out the way they hoped they would. 
Mm. Uh, maybe they'll be on next week's list. Uh, we will, uh, we're going to keep that going, Ollie, and maybe we're loser of the week every week. I love it. An occasional segment as opposed to maybe a regular segment. But we felt this week deserved it. Uh, and we felt uh, this uh, week three action deserved your insight, Nikki. Always terrific to catch up with you. Thank you for uh, shining a light on uh, some of the chaos from uh, last night. Come back and see us soon. Anytime, anytime. Lovely stuff from Nikki. We'll be checking back in with her very, very soon. Thanks to all of you as well for getting involved uh, with the poll on social, uh, as I say, at the NC Show. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We're pushing stuff out all through the week. Lots of polls, lots of extra video content, all kinds of good stuff uh, to get involved with. So make sure if you haven't already, you give us a follow and get stuck in there. Hey, bit of special news. We're dropping a bonus pod this week. Matthew Sherry, editor of Gridiron and the author of a brand new book, Any Given Sunday, uh, is uh, dropping by to tell us all about it. And we thought we'd double down, seeing as he's a massive Patriots fan. We thought we'd get a Patriots legend, well, certainly a Patriots Super Bowl winner. That's good enough in my book. Rob Ninkovich, these days in the ESPN galaxy. Uh, he's going to drop by as well to catch up uh, on the season so far, his time working under Bill Belichick. Looking forward to both of those chats. So that's a bonus pod dropping into your podcatcher a little bit later on this week. And then we'll be previewing week four. I can't believe we're talking week four already. Week four of the NFL later on this week to get you set. So make sure if you haven't already, you subscribe, whichever podcast you listen to us on, and you won't miss an episode. We'll see you then. Bye for now, guys. Podcast Network.